Amen. Well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. When I got up this morning, looked out the window, I thought to myself, well, I'm going to New Beginnings this morning, so it must be raining. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. It's dry in here, and uh, thank God for that. You know, there's a famous American preacher, some of you may have heard of, Joe Osteen. Uh, hands up if you've heard of him. Well, he has this um, thing that he does every time before he preaches. He always starts with something funny, and I don't usually do that, but I did come across a funny joke that I heard uh, this week that I thought I'd share with you. Uh, it's more of a riddle. I'll ask you this question. Uh, how did the worm cross the cornfield? Nobody knows? Well, he went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, we won't try that again. <laughs> uh, but just something to think about. But it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And it is okay for us to enjoy ourselves, isn't it? Amen. Right. Church isn't meant to be dry and drab and a place you go and, and absolutely miserable. Well, for one thing, we have something to celebrate. And that is what God has done in our lives. He's the best thing that's ever happened to us. And we give him the praise for that. So thank God. God uh, invented humor. In fact, the scripture says that laughter does good like a medicine. And it's good to laugh every now and then. Where our text this morning, as we continue our study in Romans, finds us in Romans chapter 13. And uh, we're going to be looking at this entire chapter today, although I want to kind of reverse things and look at the second half this morning, and we'll look at the first half this evening. Uh, the first half deals with the ideal of being a good citizen. What does it mean to be a Christian citizen? And that'll be our topic this evening. But uh, this morning, we want to talk about keeping the main thing, the main thing. And we want to begin reading this morning from Romans chapter 13 and verse number 8. Verse 8, Paul writes... Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being gathered here once again. Thank you for all that we have experienced thus far in your presence. And now as we turn our attention to your word, God, God, we pause to acknowledge you because we need you right now. Father, I just pray that your spirit will move in our hearts and our minds and help us to understand your word. Lord, be with me. Strengthen my body and mind and help me to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way. And I pray, God, that you would be with all of those who are under the sound of my voice. 
Father, may they hear you speaking through me today. And may each of us be encouraged and inspired and challenged by your word. Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that something will be said that will bring them to that point of decision where they have surrendered their lives to you before it's too late. So, Father, bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, you remember, last Sunday night, we looked at the ideal of being a transformed community, a place where everyone knows your name. And we want to continue that theme a little bit here by looking at this ideal of love. Love is the key to being a transformed community. Love is at the very heart of why God created us. He created us because He loved us and He wanted to express that love toward us. And He wanted us also to love Him as well and to love one another. Jesus said that love was to be the defining characteristic of His disciples. In other words, it's the main thing. When you think about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what does it mean to be a Christian, there are lots of things people might say. But it's not the name of the church, it's not the building, it's not the fact that we gather on a Sunday morning and we sing and we pray. It's not all these other things, it's love. People are to know that we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. And that's why we're talking about keeping the main thing the main thing. In church life and in, even in our own individual lives, it's very easy for us to get distracted and other things to take the priority in our lives. But that's not what it should be. If a local congregation works on building a strong biblical community, all the other purposes of the church will come together. Love is at the very heart of why we exist and what we are called to do. I remember you know, years ago, I thought I'd take up golf because I felt I was getting too old to play basketball. And I never pursued it very far, but uh, I did go and take a couple lessons. And one of the things that, that was explained to me is that when you're going to hit a golf ball, you can't try to hit the golf ball 300 yards. What you have to do is focus on your swing and having the correct swing. And the instructor told me that the club would do the rest of the work. And it's the same with us in our lives as local churches and also as individuals. If we focus on loving God passionately with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and focus on loving others as well, then everything else will fall into place. And this is what Paul makes clear in verse number 8. Let's read it again. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continu continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. When he says, He who has loved his fellow man has fulfilled the law, what he means by that is that that person has met the requirements of the law and has accomplished the intent of the law. All that the law was meant to do was summed up in the ideal of loving others as you love yourself. He goes on in verse number 9 to list some of the commandments. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments exist as guidelines for how we should treat other people. And we are to treat them like we would treat ourselves. We know this as the golden rule. Treat others like you'd like to be treated, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is a biblical principle. This is how we are to live our lives every day, treating others as we ourselves will want to be treated. The point Paul makes in verse number 10 as we continue on, he talks about how there is, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to its neighbor. One of the things 
all of these uh, commandments have in common is that if you break these, you cause harm to someone else. Adultery harms many people. If someone commits adultery, obviously they are harming the, the spouse of the other person. But if they themselves are married, then they are harming their spouse. If there are children involved, they are harmed. And it could be extended family and friends. It does a great deal of harm. Murder obviously harms the person who is murdered. But then all of the people that they loved and that knew them are harmed as well. Unfortunately, in our family, my wife and I have had a number of family members murdered in the streets of Chicago. She lost two nephews that way. And when you think about how that someone just decided one day to shoot these young men down on the city street, they didn't give any thought to the, their mothers and their fathers and their aunts and uncles and other people that knew them. It does a great deal of harm. Still in harms from the person who is stolen from. I hope none of you have ever had the unfortunate experience of having someone break into your home or break into your car, but I have. I know I'm, I'm making Chicago look like a very dangerous place. <laughs> but uh, it happens sometimes in a big city. And I remember us, we hadn't been married very long. We came back to our flat and uh, we noticed right away that the door had been broken in and came in and they had stolen some things. A watch my wife had given me for my 21st birthday and the TV and the VCR. Uh, although since it was the TV and the VCR, maybe God had them break in and steal it. But, uh, you know, it, you, it does leave you with this sense of being violated. It is a terrible thing to realize that somebody has just come into your home and just taken something away. Uh, so all of these things have something in common. They bring harm to other people. And even the act of coveting. You may say, well, why is that on the list? Because that doesn't do any physical harm to someone, but it does. Covetousness distorts the personality of the person who harbors it in their heart and eventually they will, that will be manifested in some way towards uh, the individual that they have envy or jealousy towards. None of these are victimless, victimless acts. All of these commandments are there to teach us how to respond and how to live in community with other people. As I kind of touched on or said, mentioned at the very outset, community is at the very heart of why God created us. So that we would live in community with Him and also live in community with one another. But because of our sin, God's ultimate design, His ideal of community was destroyed. And so He sent His Son, His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that that community could be restored. So that tells me that community, and at the heart of community is love, is the key to God's, is the whole reason for God's creative purpose and his redemptive purpose. He wants us to live as a loving community. And this is what Paul is speaking of. And this is why it is the main thing. In verse number 11 and 12, Paul says, And do this, this ideal of loving others as you love yourself. Do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Here in verse 11 and 12, Paul speaks of the urgency of applying this rule. When you read Paul's writings, you notice that several times he speaks of the imminence of Christ's return. And what he wanted was for his readers to live their lives every day with this sense of expectation that Jesus was coming back and he was coming back soon. Because if there is a sense of expectation and urgency in our life, it will affect how we live. I, was, I, I think about how as a child, I'm the oldest of eight. 
And I was often, especially I got to be a teenager left at home to babysit my siblings. And many times when my mom and dad was away, they would give us chores and say, okay, when we get back, we want the dishes washed or the, the carpets hoovered or the, the clothes dried or folded, put up all these different chores. And um, as a child, I always want to know when were they going to come back? <laughs> How long are you going to be gone? Because that would let me know when did I need to start doing these chores. So if they're going to be gone for an hour, better get on it right away. But they're going to be gone for three hours, oh, it can wait a while. And then sometimes you get kind of caught up into what you're doing, playing games, having a good time. And suddenly you look up at the clock and realize, oh, mom and dad are coming back in 20 minutes. And then there'd be this mad dash to get everything done so that we would have the chores finished before they came back. Well, we are to live our lives every day with that sense of urgency that Jesus is on his way back. He could come back tonight. He could come back this afternoon or tomorrow morning. Or even if he doesn't come back, our lives could end at any time. So for us, that could be the end of the time we have on earth. And we need to live each day with the urgency that we need to redeem the time. We don't have time to waste. So when time is short... As it was when I had to do those chores, you start to focus on what's really important. There have been people who have experienced that in their health. You know, if you found out that you had a serious health issue and you only had so much time to live or, you know, you, there was some doubt about how long you would live, suddenly the things that aren't so important would just fade away from your mind. My wife and I last year um, had an opportunity to go back to the States for a while to help look after her sister who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she ended up passing away, but thank God we were able to be there for the, past, for the last six or seven months of her life. But one of the things I noticed about Tisha is that in the last months of her life, there was just something she just could not be bothered with. Some things just weren't that important because she had a focus that all that was important was getting healthy, was extending her life. So her life revolved around very simple things. Her next doctor's appointment, her next treatment, the next dosage of medication, what she needed to do in terms of getting a proper rest or eating the proper food, and other things just weren't that important. When we keep the main thing the main thing, when we live our lives with a sense of urgency that the time is short for us to do God's work, then some of the other things that we allow to crowd into our lives and take up time won't seem as important anymore. What is it that we're doing in our lives, that we're focusing on, that we really should set to the side so we can keep the main thing the main thing? And the main thing is loving God and loving others. Jesus also emphasized that love was the main thing in our Christian life. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-five, Jesus was asked, Teacher, which of the greatest commandments in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You know what Jesus in essence was saying? Is that if you take the scripture... And I'm not sure how many here have read the Bible from cover to cover. But if you have, you know it's quite a lot contained here. If you take all of this and wanted to sum it up into what is most important, what is the whole point of the Bible, this is it. Love God and love others. That's the whole purpose of life. That's at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. That's what we need to focus on. 
Keeping the main thing the main thing. Paul speaks of this again in Galatians. In Galatians 5 and 6 he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This passage in Galatians deals with Paul correcting this uh, wrong teaching. That in order for Gentiles to be saved, they needed to become culturally Jewish. They needed to be circumcised to be part of the family of God. And Paul says that that's not the case. That circumcision is not that important. What's really important, what really counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now today, thankfully, that's not an issue for us, circumcision, whether people are circumcised or not. We don't consider that. But there are other things that can happen among Christians that has kind of replaced it as the big issues that are argued about today. And Paul's admonition is the same, that none of that matters. Think about how many times in, a, in Christian circles there's arguments about baptism, which is the proper way of baptism, or arguments about the way services should be organized or structured, or how often you should take communion, or you know the role of women in the church. All kinds of issues that we agonize over and fight over and divide over and that take up so much of our time. And if we read the scripture, we'll come to see that those things are not as important as loving God passionately and loving others as ourselves. Any Christian who knows the Bible from cover to cover, has memorized it, is really trained in theology and can have great discussions about uh, theological issues, but doesn't know how to love his, his or her fellow man, is a deficient Christian. Any church, any local church that is, has great music, great preaching, great ministries, all kinds of other things they do, but hasn't learned how to love God and love other people, they're missing the main point. And that's the thing I want to hammer home today is keep the main thing the main thing. Well, if love is the main thing, this ideal of loving God, and particularly as, as it relates to Romans 13, loving others as we love ourselves, then let's take a moment and look a little closer exactly what love is. How do we express that? How do we know that we're keeping it the, the main thing? Well, I think here a definition of love is helpful. And fortunately in the Greek there are actually three words for love, which helps us to understand what the scripture means by love. Because today, love can mean anything. We use the same word love for the, the affections that we have for our spouse or our children or for McDonald's, <laughs> or our sporting team. You know, we say, I love this or that, it, and it means nothing. But what does biblical love really mean? Well, as I said, in the Greek, there are three words for love. Eros love, phileo love, and agape love. The first one is eros love. Eros love is romantic love. And it's a wonderful thing when you experience it, isn't it? Just to have that feeling, that, that affection for someone else, that closeness and intimacy. Um, I remember when I was 14 years old, I asked my dad. I was standing in the kitchen by the sink, still remember as if it was yesterday. And said, Dad, how will I know when I've met the, the person that I should marry? I mean, that just seems kind of extraordinary to me that one day I was going to choose someone you know, to love and to get married, and it was meant to be for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, how, how do you make sure it's the right person when it's that kind of commitment? And my dad said, well, son, 
you'll know when you know. And uh, I got to tell you, <laughs> I didn't find that very helpful <laughs> at the moment. I was, I was hoping he could give me a more definitive answer. You know, some, some, a three-step plan or some criteria that I could tick the box and say, okay, yeah, this is the right person. Well, Karen and I have been married now for almost 26 years. And I can tell you, looking back from experience, that the answer he gave me was the absolute right answer. There is no, you know, three-step plan. There isn't a list of criteria that you can tick the box and say, okay, this person ticks all the boxes, this is the person that I should marry. It's a feeling that's hard to describe. And poets and songwriters have spent generations trying to express what real love is all about. But when you feel it, you know you felt it. When you experience it, you know what it is. The next type of love is phileo love. This is the love between friends. It's the love that we have for those who love us. It's not a romantic love, uh, but it's, it's a love for, that you have for a close friend. Someone that means a lot to you. Uh, the people that really add to our life. And friendship is a really important thing to have. Life wouldn't be the same without friends. Without people you can share with and talk with and do things together. Because that's how we are meant. To be. That's how we're created. The Bible says that we're created in the image of God. That means that we're created to reflect the same characteristics and aspects of God's nature in ourselves. One, and one of those is God is a relational God. And so we are made for relationship. That, you know, there are people who pretend they don't need anybody else. You know, people that say, I'm, I'm happy all by myself, I'm happy with my own company. And to some extent, I'm kind of like that at times. But the truth of the matter is, is that if I was all alone on the island, you know, for years and years and years without any human contact or companionship, that would be miserable. We all need that uh, in our lives. And this is the kind of love that phileo love brings. In fact, this word phileo comes from the same Greek word that we get the word brother from. And that's the ideal, a brotherly love, a connection with other people. That's not those first two though aren't the type of love that Paul is referring to here in Romans 13. He's talking about agape love. This is something very different. I like the definition of agape love that Dr. Martin Luther King provides. He says agape love is understanding and creative redemptive goodwill for all men. An overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. Agape is the love of God operating in the human heart. And it's that last part there that really is key. Agape love is the love of God operating in the human heart. It's a divine love, but being expressed through our actions. Dr. King goes on to say, at this level, agape love that is, we love people not because we like them, nor because their ways appeal to us, nor even because they possess some type of divine spark. We love every man because God loves him. That's what agape love is. Loving others the way that God does. This means that the love that you and I have for one another should be consistent with the love that we experience from God. It doesn't mean that I can love people the same way that God can. Or I can experience love from others the way I experience love from God. Because none of us can love like God. But it does mean that as Christians, the love we experience for one another should be consistent with the love that we have come to expect from God. 
we become conduits of God's love so that God's love flows through us and expressed to other people. That's a powerful love. The love of God operating in the human heart. So this is what Paul talks about when he says that let no debt continue except the debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. All of these other commandments are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a real challenge. Even as I prepared this, I thought about it in my own life. Is that true of me? Do I love other people as I love myself? It's easy to say. It's harder to do. When we love other people the way that God loves them and the way that God wants us to love them, then that means at times we'll put other people's needs first. How often, though, do we know of someone who has a need or maybe needs a visit or something and we just can't be bothered? We've got our own problems. We've got our own issues, our own lives to deal with. Do we, do we have the patience and the long-suffering that God has towards other people to support them and encourage them? Are we as forgiving as God is towards us to others who have disappointed us in some way? If we're going to love the way that God wants us to, we must do these things. There's a passage of scripture I'm sure you're all familiar with in 1 Corinthians 13. It's become known as the love chapter. It's, it's a favorite passage that is read at weddings and, and things like that. But actually, this has nothing to do with romantic love. I mean, that doesn't mean that it's not right to, to read at a wedding, uh, but it really has nothing to do with romantic love. It describes agape love. The actual context here in 1 Corinthians 13 is Paul is talking about spiritual gifts and how they operate in the church. And he, after explaining spiritual gifts to some extent, he turns to the idea of love because the larger point he wants to make is that no spiritual gift is of any benefit to the body of Christ if not exercised in love. But as he describes the aspects of love, they're helpful for us in our discussion today so that we can make sure these things are true about our expression of love to our fellow man. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clangling cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. These are strong statements by Paul. All of the things he mentions are things to be commended. You know, great acts. He says that if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, in other words, if I can preach better than anybody has ever preached before. Preach in a way that makes people just sit on the edge of their seat and just want more and more and more. If I preach in such a way that hundreds of thousands of people flock to hear me, but I don't have love, then my preaching is like somebody taking their fingernails and scratching it on a chalkboard. Or just stand up with a single and just clanging it over and over again. Those noise are irritating. They don't benefit people at all. Neither does preaching. Neither does singing that is not done with love. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I know the Bible from cover to cover, if I can explain theological truths better than anybody ever has, but I don't have love, then it doesn't benefit the people of God at all. 
And if I give everything I possess to the poor, that would seem like a very selfless thing to do, an expression of love. But if I don't do it out of love, I gain nothing. I'm not storing up treasures in heaven. I'm not getting any credit for that from God. This lets me know that we can do the right things, but from the wrong motivations. We can come to church, we can read our Bible, we can even give our tithes and our offerings, we can serve in a community, but if we're not motivated at our heart of love, if we do it so we can get a reputation, if we do it so we can get a pat on the back from others, or look to be pious or holy, you know, or, or, or a giving person, but it's not coming from a genuine attitude of love, then God says that it's of no good. The challenge for us then is to think about what is our motivation. Are you a great singer? Make sure you're motivated by love for God and His people and the desire to benefit the body of Christ and not to show off, not to bring attention to yourself. Can you play an instrument? I didn't just put this in there for you, Graham. Just <laughs> but whatever it is that you can do, make sure you're motivated by love and desire to benefit the body of Christ and not just to promote yourself. Are you a natural-born leader? Then be motivated by love for people and the desire to serve the body of Christ and not for the body of Christ to serve you. And then in verses 4 to 7, he goes on to describe some of the attributes of love, the practical ways in which we express our love. He says in verse number 4, love is patient. In other words, love never gives up. Love doesn't just say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to forgive you anymore. Love is patient with other people. Love is kind. Love is concerned with the feelings of other people. Love is not harsh or cruel. Love is not envious, the text says. Love doesn't want what others have. Love is not jealous. Love does not boast. Love doesn't seek to build up oneself. Instead, love looks to build up others. Love is not proud. Love doesn't have a big head. Love is not going around trying to make themselves look good at the expense of others. Love is not rude. Love is polite and considerate. Love is not self-seeking. Love isn't always looking out for number one, for our own interests, but we look out for the interests of others. Agape love means you'll never be happy. Continue content, I could say. You'll never be satisfied with only what you have. You're always wondering about how you can be a blessing to other people as well. Love does not get easily angered. And you know why? Because love gives the benefit of the doubt. If someone says something, you're not quick to just automatically assume they were trying to hurt you or trying in some way to get at you. You give the benefit of the doubt when you love. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love forgives and forgets. Love doesn't say, you always did that. Or back in 1967, I remember when you said that to me. Love doesn't keep... Oh, that's the fifth time this week you've done that. That's not what love does. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives and forgets. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, love does not take pleasure in the sins or faults of others. When we really love someone, even when they go astray, we're not saying, yeah, see, I knew they was going to mess up. Or I'm not surprised at all that they would end up in that situation. Instead, love grieves for the loss of someone. Love grieves that someone has gone off track and wants to bring them back. The text says love is always protective, always trustful, 
always hopeful. Love always perseveres. Romantic love, they, they talk about love lasts forever. Only agape love does. Romantic love can come and go. Unfortunately, there have been many people who have experienced that. They've been passionate in love with someone at one point in their life and then later that love was gone. The love of God lasts forever. It always perseveres. It's long-suffering. And that's why he says in verse number 8, love never fails. This agape love is the most powerful force in the world. It's only this agape love that can turn an enemy into a friend. You have someone in your life that you have some con conflict with right now. Not quite getting along. There's some issues. The thing to do is to love them. Allow the love of God to work through your heart and you will transform that person from an enemy into a friend. Because the scripture promises this, love conquers all. Verse 9 and 12, it says that love is even superior to knowledge. That even as we think about what we might know in terms of scriptural things, what the Bible teaches, love is more important than that. Paul makes the point that knowledge is often the cause of division in the church. Most of the denominations that we have are based on people deciding that they have a better understanding of God's word or better understanding of his expectations for us as Christians. So then people decide, well, you don't understand the scripture like I do, so I'm going to start my own group. But in 1 Corinthians 8, it says we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Seek to love one another. And then verse number 13 it ends with this phrase, the greatest of these is love. In other words, love is the main thing. The only way we can love others the way that God wants us to is because we have experienced God love first. The scripture says we love because he first loved us. And I just want to close by asking this question. Have you experienced God's love in your own life? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? The greatest demonstration of God's love was when he sent his son to down the cross for our sins. And if you haven't put your faith in him, then I want to encourage you to do that today. Accept God's love into your life and then you'll be able to love others as well. If you are a Christian this morning, the challenge for all of us is to think about are we keeping the main thing, the main thing. This doesn't happen by accident. We've got to be intentional. Even in the life of a local church, such as yours, it's got to be talked about, preached, taught on often. It needs to be the discussion at elders' meetings. It needs to be part of the programming, the diary of the church, opportunities for the fellowship to come together and work together and express love for one another. There needs to be an intentional effort to make sure you reach out to those in need and those suffering in the congregation. The greatest of these is love. Is there anyone that you worship with? Anyone in your life that you have a little bit of dislike towards? Someone that you're harboring ill will in your heart towards? Some unforgiveness? Maybe you try to avoid them. You don't talk to them. If you're in a group and they have to be part of it, you're disappointed to discover that they're there. You know, if you know they're going to be there, you'd rather not be there. If that is in case the fact, God's word comes today to challenge us that we can't live like that. Maybe there's someone you need to go to and repent to. Maybe you need to pray and ask God to give you the real love for this person in your heart. And then looking beyond just the local fellowship, is there someone you work with? 
someone in your life that you find that you harbor in a bit of resentment and ill will towards. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't sweep that under the rug and think, well, as long as I'm a Christian, I go to church and I do all these other things, that's enough. We've got to love one another. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for both the inspiration of it as we realize that we have benefited from your great love. Father, you have loved us more than we have loved ourselves, more than we deserve. And we adore you for that. You are a loving, patient, forgiving, long-suffering God. Father, there's no other God like you. And we just love you this morning. Thank you for your love to each and every one of us. Father, we also thank you for the challenge of your word. That just as you have loved us, so we are to love one another. I pray, God, that you'd help us to love not just in word, but in deed. From our hearts, dear God, sincerely. That we be concerned for others. That we would sacrifice for others. We put ourselves out for others. That we would use our spiritual gifts and natural abilities to benefit the body of Christ, dear God, to, in service to others. I pray, God, that you would just reveal exactly what it is that they need to do. Father, if they are involved in a relationship that has some difficulties, I pray you give them your peace and your wisdom to know how to approach the individual and, and how to begin to set things right and, and to love that person, dear God. So, Father, we just thank you for your word. Help us to live it out in our lives day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.